Morning. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's going to be a quick little intro this week because I'm actually sitting in a hotel lobby right now down in Ch- Chautauqua Lake, and it's a little awkward. Me with my little microphone out and laptop, people walking by looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> so <laughs> I'll make it quick. Howie from Sticky Lips is coming on. I will say, I'll give you one quick little story from vacation. It's just a long weekend, not really a true vacation, but nonetheless, good to get away for a few days. Um, we rent a boat every year. And the boat we rented this year, it's a pontoon boat. I get it out in the water this morning because it gets like delivered to our hotel. I get it out in the water this morning. And, and you know, listen, I'm not the world's most mechanical guy. I don't know a ton about boats, but I've been on a boat dozens, dozens of times in my life. I've driven a boat many, many times. Something's not right, right? The engine just doesn't have the oomph to it. Like, there's just not enough power there. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It kind of felt like, you know, you're trying to drive a ship with, like, a, a, a miniature propeller is what it, it was what it felt like. What I ended up figuring out, or what we ended up figuring out, is the transmission on the thing was shot. And basically what's happening is it's kind of fine at the beginning when you're really low and you're just getting out of the dock. But as soon as you get out in open water and you try to open it up a bit, it can't shift gears up beyond you know whatever i don't i don't know what gear it would be but whatever makes you go more than like 10 miles an hour probably five miles and i mean whatever we're crawling and you try to ramp the thing up and you try to give it gas and it just the motor just goes from like and then as soon as you ramp it up it just goes like it's working as hard as it possibly can and meanwhile you're not going anywhere so um anyway so you know Always got to be a little hiccup, right? But nothing can dampen a weekend with family. Got cousins here. I've got an aunt here. I've got, of course, my wife and son are here. My mom and dad are here. And, you know, uh, short of that boat blowing up, there's nothing that can stop this weekend from being a wonderful weekend. So tomorrow night, my parents are celebrating their, I guess it would be 41st? Yeah, 41st wedding anniversary. Uh, which is the point around this weekend. That's why we're doing this weekend. We do a summer getaway every year, like for a long weekend. But this this one's extra special because of the planning it around the anniversary. So we're doing a big dinner tomorrow night. And then, of course, heading back to Rochester Monday. So um, Chautauqua Lake is beautiful. I have talked my family into. I, it's not official yet, but looks like next year we might come up to Canandaigua Lake. Because we switch places every few years. We used to go to Lake Raystown in Pennsylvania. And now we've been coming to Chautauqua for a few years. And I think next year, sounds like, I don't know, talk amongst the family as they'd be interested in coming to the Finger Lakes. So I was telling them all about that new hotel, the lake house, and beautiful how beautiful Canandaigua Lake is. And sounds possible. Sounds like I might be bringing a little money to the local economy with my uh, family vacation next year. Okay, with that being said... Let me end the awkwardness of recording this in a hotel lobby and uh, hope you enjoy my interview with Howie Nielsen, founder of Sticky Lips Barbecue.
Howie Nielsen is here. It's really you. You're the sticky lips guy. You're you got him. You're like one of the kings of barbecue of Rochester, New York. Man. Not one. The, the king. The, yeah. The, <laughs> as I said it, I went, you ever say something and you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, man. C- uh, congratulations on a very long, how many years now for sticky lips? Let's see. We started in uh, 2004. So, yeah. What was, Howie, what was Howie Nielsen doing in 2003? I was building the original Sticky Lips on Culver Road. Were you? What, yeah, what, what that was, was an 11-month process for me. Oh, man. All my stores are hand-built. Really? Yeah. Jefferson Road took a year and a half to build. I remember. I yeah. remember. That was a... That was... I remember during that year and a half, you were um, you were very stressed, right? But you were also very, like, optimistic. There was this big thing on the horizon. But I do remember there being a lot of stress. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was my biggest project. To date. Yeah. But I'm in another project because Howie doesn't stop. I know. And I, I got to learn how to stop. No, no, no. But that's I'm the key. 60 years old now. It's, <laughs> it's time to slow down. But this is why you're successful because you don't stop, right? People don't realize very successful entrepreneurs never just kick their feet up and say, I'm done now, right? Like, that never happens. It, it, it's kind of like they say lawyers, same thing. They, yeah. they never totally retire. Yeah. You right. know, you got something always going. Helps keep the mind active. Yeah. Gives you a reason to wake up every day. So I had you on the radio back in the day, right? And I've heard your whole story, but for the sake of this podcast, uh, let's rehash some of it if we can. Sure. Where are you actually born and raised? Okay, Rondequoit, New York. Love it. Went okay. to Rondequoit High School, graduated in 79. I was playing lots of sports back then. Mm-hmm. What was your sport? What was your position in your sport? Well, football, I was running back, I was a guard in basketball, and center fielder in baseball oh my god you were a three-sport athlete yeah yeah, yeah i love it buddy. I, I loved uh sports you know kept yeah. me kept me active football of course everyone loves football right basketball is a lot of fun baseball why do we have to play nine innings <laughs> you know back then when i was playing it i never questioned it but it was just uh I had to play baseball. Every everybody on my street played baseball. All the fathers on the street got us to play baseball, and we played at Pesquit Stadium, which was across the street from me. And the Pesquit's family, God bless them, they've never had a blade of grass on their backyard for that probably 15 years that we were playing ball there. And it was a great time. It was really a great time to grow up in America, actually. Well, what if I talked to you in 1979 and said, Howie, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have told me? So back then I was in the building trades. I was hell-bent on being a home builder or remodeler. And uh, I went to school at Alfred Tech at Wellsville, took building construction. When I was in high school, my senior year, took a half a day, took the building construction at the BOCES program. And uh, I, I'm a big believer in these trade schools, mm-hmm. and I was not that you know that student that was going to go to the four-year college. You know, I have some learning disabilities that I, you know, that I have to work with. That, uh, but it's not crippling. You know, what are, obviously. Kind of am I allowed to ask you what are the disabilities? Well, um, you know, it's the, it, it's kind of we learned at a young age that I have a um, <clears throat> like a, if you tell me something. You want me to repeat it back to you? I can't really say it word for word. Really? Yeah. It gets, you know, a little mixed up there. My wife yeah. accuses me of that all the time. But yours is an actual, 
yours. Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, my parents would always, you know, we'd pull me out of class for a little bit. I had to go to speech therapy. I had right. to go to, you know. Well, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Was that hard for you at all, or or were you like, no, this is just this is this is my life. This no, is me. This, you know, I just took it in stride. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's different in life, and everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. And right. you know, I was just so thankful that my parents were one to help me figure out what my strengths and my likes were, and they kind of helped guide me in that direction. Yeah, it was kind of neat. I my parents were a little bit older. They were the World War II generation. My dad was a sergeant. Uh, in World War II and was shot. And, uh, you know, that he's got a very interesting story. Does he tell that story? Did he tell that story? You know what? No. You That generation, you had a pull out of them, and I probably heard the story, you know, maybe once, maybe twice. But where I really learned about it was in a book. Now, when so you're you- reading a book about World War II, and it was a, the division that my father was in they chronicled from day one to the end of the war and from boot camp on it was just amazing and the battle my father was shot in he was a 21 year old platoon sergeant which at 21 years old leading a group of men past a german occupied france village french village they had machine gun turrets on the corners as they were going around the machine guns opened up, shoe mines were going off, my dad gets shot, other guys around him are getting blown up. And this is what I'm reading in the book. I never heard that from my dad. Was he, at the, when that book came out, was he still around? No. Okay. Actually, he just passed away. So you never had a chance to he talk never, to him about it? But he may have been a contributor of the book, I'm not sure. But anyhow, that generation... And that, that time of growing up was so different than what we're seeing today. And It's, uh, it's true. I mean, we can go down the road. Because I was going to ask, when you were talking about going to trade school, why aren't more kids encouraged to go to trade school? Because I look back, and, you know, BOCES is a, in, an amazing program. It's yeah. an amazing program where kids can learn skills and build careers that, by the way, pay really well in the real world no right? kidding really right and and yet it seems as though it can be difficult to convince parents and kids to to send them that route now plenty do i mean boces is here for a reason but sometimes they're resistant to it and they think college is the only option and god damn so i wish i could go back and tell myself when i was 14 that college isn't the only option two things that i think come into play yeah. here yeah one on the parents is a parent you want to be able to brag about little Johnny going to Harvard or yeah. <laughs> some, you know, fancy college, right? Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, today's generation versus my parents' generation, I think we have more disposable income. It seems to be that way. Mm-hmm. The way prices, everything's escalating up. How do, how do we pay for this? But I think what's, what's going on is, you know, part of the parent, the peer pressure that they also have is being parents and then also, I think the, the, the schools, the high schools themselves are, you know, we're in this educational arms race, it seems like, with these other countries. And for us to score high, we got we to gotta try to put our kids into, you know, situations of learning that may not be comfortable with them and, and set them up for failure, I think, in the long term. 
I think that you're right. I think it happens. And, of course, there's there's always going to be an example of somebody can say, well, no, look at this kid and look at that kid. Sure. And, and, you know, but but all whole all in a whole, when you can kind of consider everything and average it all out, your father was shot at 21 while serving his country and then came home. And how, how much later? That, I mean, eventually then he has a family, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Whereas like a 21-year-old these days is still a child. And not to say your, your father wasn't a child when he was shot, because that's young. The, 21 the is men, young. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. that generation and going through the Depression and some of the things that they went through made them grow up i think a little bit faster now can i flip flip that at all is there anything negative about the fact that your father's generation was was thrust into adulthood that quickly is there any negative to that you know what i mean being a being a kid at that time when these men were of age yeah and and running things i sometimes as a kid you don't really see that you don't really know everything that's going on around you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was maybe a naive kid. I looked at everybody as as a positive, as a friend. And uh, so, you know, it probably took you to punch me in the nose before I knew that maybe you really didn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a charisma. You've got a natural likability to you. I mean, everyone... Everyone likes you and you're charismatic, right? And so that those are the things that attract people to people. So you are – it's why you are who you are. It's why you've run the, a very successful business for a very long time. But, all right, so you, you get into the trades, right? Yep. Or you're at least you're training to be in the trades. I have to think that even to this day that has to be a huge benefit for you, that you have a background in that. Because if you think about it, with all the construction you've had to do between Culver Road years ago, Jefferson Road a few years ago – I mean, you're able to walk into a job and understand what these contractors are doing and able to basically know the costs, the methods, right? What a disadvantage. I think of myself, and this shouldn't be about me, but I have, I'm have i at such a disadvantage with that kind of stuff because I don't know who's taking me for a ride and who's not sure. when it comes to construction things, whereas you know that stuff. I mean, have you found that to be hugely beneficial it, as you became it, a restaurateur? It, it, it's without a doubt, yes. Mm-hmm. Knowing, like you said, you can go into a building, and I look at it like, okay, this is what we can do to make it work for what we want to do here. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, it's kind of a, you know, it's a blessing that it's not. I've built over 16 restaurants in my day, either remodeled or from scratch. Remember, before Sticky Lips Barbecue, there was... The pizza station. Yeah. That was first five years of my business. We had three pizza stations throughout the city and a commissary by the Genesee Brewery. And I was 25 years old and I had 75 people working for me. And I almost went bankrupt. The whole thing almost went down. Well, let's tell that story a little bit. So you, you're, you're training to be in the trades. What eventually flips that and makes you become a restaurateur and a pizzeria owner? Sure, I know. what It was it was actually, you know, back then, I think, just being really more of an entrepreneur and whatever I could find to take me there. I love recording outside, by the way. This never used to happen in radio, right? Well, you know, there's really something to be said. You know... Being out in this field, we're in a field. farmer's field at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> with the sun rising 
the glistening coming off the 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 weeds of the the field it's really a beautiful sight. It is a beautiful sight, but I just love it. There's never any traffic on this road, like so rarely. And then I decide to record a podcast, and a semi-truck comes <laughs> and just parks 20 feet from us for the last five minutes. But anyway, I think it'll be fine. I think I, it's great. I'm so sorry I interrupted. We were telling how you decided to finally become a, a restaurateur. So when you're in college, you know, you got to take that trip cross-country. So two buddies, Al Germano and Steve Rossi, they're still in town. Steve Rossi had this van, kind of an old beat-up van, blue van, and we put a mattress in the back of it, and we said, we're going cross-country. So we drove out to California. On the way back, we stopped into Chicago. My sister's uh, future father-in-law took us to this pizzeria called Bacino's, and they had that Chicago-stuffed pizza, which was never seen anything like it. It was kind of brand new. And... I said, that's something I could bring back to Rochester, and I'll have to move out to Chicago, which I did. Tried to learn how to make it. Still, again, unexperienced in the restaurant industry. I'm dumpster diving, trying to figure out the secrets because I didn't know really the industry. What were you looking for in the dumpster? Just like what cheese are they using? What bread are they using? Exactly, flowers, tomatoes, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I maybe I picked up a couple things here or there. Yeah. But it was just that thirst to want to learn and maybe try to be the best that you can. Have you ever just tried also, what's funny is you can just sometimes ask the people working there a question. Like um, places that have secrets, or at least they, they think they have secrets. You, walk, you, you ask Howie, you say, hey, Howie, tell me your method or tell me your recipe for this. And you're like, hey, man, that's a secret, right? That's a secret. Sure, But every sure. once in a while you can catch a kid working the cash register and you can just be like, hey, uh, what kind of cheese do you guys use on your pizza? And the kid will be like, oh, it's uh, Galbani. Yeah. <laughs> I, and you're like, God I, I know that trick. I, know? I used to do that same thing. <laughs> and that's how you – but today, I mean, think about it. It's all there on Google. It's true. It's so I true. I mean, it's changed the industry so much. Yeah, it's true. Where before, you really had to learn your craft. The other thing about this this business for me, too, that I've learned is how uh, reverse engineering works and how, you know, we think we've got secrets. Like, you you know, you, you think your recipe's secret. I think my recipe's secret. I don't think my recipe's secret. I've given mine away a million times. <laughs> but, but, you know, you put this in the hands of a couple food scientists who have been doing this for years, and they can pretty much figure out. They can reverse engineer our shit. Sure. They just yeah. can. So you end up starting, uh, you, you you realize there's no Chicago-style pizza in Rochester. Nobody's doing it, right? And you say, I'm going to bring this specific style to Rochester. So June 10th, 1982, opposite Seabreeze Park, next door to the where the reunion. They've renamed it. Great new owner down there. The Union, the union Inn. Anyhow. I, I was 21 years old. I found out I was having a child on the way. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Yeah. So we opened up and failed miserably. Not really. I, I learned a lot. On Friday, the guy that owned the building and the bar didn't want to do the Friday steak and fish fry. So I was thrown into a full sit-down dining experience in the Seabreeze area back then and still to this day that was the fish fry area of Rochester 
and the fish fries were $3.25 back then. And I remember fish was starting to go up to $1.76 a pound. You know, we used to do the big uh, 12 to 14 ounce fish fries down there, bumped it up 50 cents. You would have thought I shot the Pope. <laughs> I mean, three. I think we went to 375. Oh my God, that was like the big talk. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I was down in uh, Seabreeze and, uh, you know, my, my kid's mother there and I, we worked uh, really hard in those beginning years and, uh, you know, kept me out of trouble. I know a lot of my friends were doing some crazy things in their early 20s and, you know, I was working and I, I had a, a family to feed. So my life changed and uh, they probably helped me grow up. I, I, know, I know probably, I know it did. And, uh, and you know, just uh, from pizza then... Then you know barbecue got on the uh, well, on the me, mind. Well, yeah, you, though, wanted... you, you said that the pizza that it didn't end well, right? You said that first venture didn't end well. Well, the the one okay, I'm sorry, I skipped over a great story of how I met uh, Sammy Mina. Okay. So yeah. Sammy Mina, the the owner of Aladdin's, and really the guy who brought Middle Eastern food yeah. to Rochester. Yeah, Pomodoro and uh, one or two. Oh, other he's ones, had I so many right. great yeah. ventures over the years. Right, right, right. And uh, so Sammy was, uh, he was a little bit older than I was, maybe by maybe 10 years. I think he was a Kodak engineer, but he really wanted to bring this food from his, his home country to our country. And his first location was on the corner of Culver and Ridge Road East. For years, there was like an Abbott's ice cream at that corner. Well, prior to that, Sam started the first Aladdin's. My first pizza station was just down the road. And one day, I think after an article in a newspaper, he came in and, and said hello, and we got to be friends. And I used to go up there and eat his food, and I think he would order pizzas for me. And so that's how we formed our friendship. But one day in a conversation, I said to him, I said, boy, I think our foods would do better up around that Park Ave, Monroe Ave area. I've been going up there, taking some cooking lessons up at the museum up there. So I kind of got to see Gelato's ice cream back in the day. There were lines out the, out the door. And, and so I said, Sam, I think we'd be better up there. And he says, I've already found something. So he told me about this place really close to where I am today on Park Ave. It's where the dragonfly is right now. Mm-hmm. Down that alleyway, I had a 400-square-foot storefront. Sammy was going to take the front of it, but something happened. I signed my lease first with Ann Sutton, who I believe still owns the building today. Could I could I just interject here? We're yeah. talking about Chester Cab Pizza, right? Yeah. Because people hear you say where you are today, and they they think you're talking about Sticky Lips. But yes. we're talking about and Chester Cab. Pizza Station was yeah. the first name to Chester Cab Pizza. Uh-huh. Right, right. So... So it, it it is a long story with Chester Cab, and um, but anyhow, we uh, we ended up uh, moving in there, lasted there two years, and then moved out to where we are now, mm-hmm. and that is when things really started to click for me because now we're in the front of Park Ave, we're right, right on the street, not down the alleyway anymore, and uh, so we did very well for pizza many years. I think I'd owned that for 30 years before I uh, relinquished that up to Des Ivanov, who is Bulgarian-born, came to this country, 
not knowing the language, ended up being Vale Victorian at MCC, RIT, and he bought me out over at Chester Cab Pizza. And still to this day, uh, the place is still going after 39 years. Can and we that's talk cool. about? That's very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, you really built something there. Um, can we talk about the challenge of making Chicago-style pizza? Because I think, and tell me, obviously you did it for decades, and I'm just a, a fat kid who eats it. But uh, pizzas at, at other pizzerias can pump out pizzas fast, right? Yeah. Chicago-style pizza takes a while, it, right? It does. In fact, the stuffed pizza took the longest. It was minimal 35-minute bake time. So how were people dealing with the fact that, hey, I can call such and such and get it? And at that time, I'm thinking Domino's was doing 30 minutes oh, or less. Oh, yes. Right? Boy, do we and, know that. And you're talking about an hour <laughs> wait for pizza sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how, how was that? I mean, did you just have to kind of educate the public? So on- during the height of the, and it's funny, you brought up the Domino's thing and really where they pushed the industry with delivery and 30-minute free delivery. Mm-hmm. So... You know, here I was with three stores, and I'm trying to compete, and, uh, you know, local kid. So we did 35-minute regular pizza delivery and 45-minute stuffed pizza. And if you didn't get it in time, you got a $2 off coupon. So that actually worked fairly well for okay, us. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So you do Chester Cab for so long, but pizza and barbecue are different. So at what point did you get that? bug in your head that made you say hey uh you know what i really like i like this barbecue stuff it's good stuff yeah where did that happen where'd that light bulb moment so i guess you could probably credit my uncle frank for having this hasty baked chicken grill that was very expensive was very unique in its process and he cooked the best chicken the family chicken we ever had and it was everybody at least three, four times a year, that chicken was coming to a family event. And that's when we had families that were fairly close together with our aunts and uncles and cousins. It was really cool. So that kind of sunk it in there. And then my father, this engineer at Kodak, hated to cook. And anything, and I was eight years old and he put me on the grill. <laughs> I'd have to cook up the family hamburger, hot dogs. Sometimes steak, my dad loved everything well done. <laughs> so I thought as a kid, everything needed to be well done. I didn't, I didn't realize there was another temperature till later in my life. God's honest truth. We were not from a food or a restaurant family at all. And uh, so, you know, that and then two guys, uh, Sammy and Eric, who had worked for me at the pizzeria, one was working at Beale Street, and one was working at the Dino. And one day, we all met up on Park Avenue. It wasn't even a set meeting. We just saw each other there, and we got talking. I'd stayed friends with these guys. And, uh, you know, I said, geez, you know, if there's a two-hour wait down at the Dino, there's still room for more barbecue in this city. And we said, yeah, okay, let's do something. So, you know, while we were looking for a location... We'd meet at my house down in uh, Parkdale Terrace in the city, the 10th Ward area, and we'd start developing our sauces, which actually is something we're doing here at the Craft Cannery. Is to this yeah. day, we're still making the yeah. the base of that sauce. Right before we started recording, we were in there tasting sauces. We at were. At 6.30 in the morning, barbecue sauce. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, 
you know, we developed a few of the sauces. What was the first? Was the All American? Okay, yeah, great. definitely. Which uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah. you can't smell things through the uh, speakers. But as we sit here, I can smell it oozing out of the factory, and I love it. I just love it. It's a summer morning, and like it smells like barbecue. This is just—it's what I live for. Well, the one cool thing working with Polly is, so we've, you know, from those days, those early years of making that sauce, we were always using some fresh vegetables in yes. our sauce. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, Polly convinced me. Now, when you get into the bottling scene, it's a whole, you know, different realm of making gallons and gallons instead of, a, you know, four or five gallons at a time. So, uh, you know, we could have gone with different uh, spices or different uh, dehydrated vegetables and powders. Powders, yep. Yeah, and and yeah. Polly said, no, let's go with the, the fresh vegetables, which we stayed with. And he and I really believe that it, it's kind of a, a character that's unique to barbecue sauces. Yeah. So so and and we could, this is public information because it's on your label. It's on your ingredient yeah, list. Right. But you have onions. You have and you have like green bell peppers and jalapeno peppers in yeah. your sauce. And the way that most barbecue sauces would accomplish that is pastes or powders on those flit to get a little bit of those flavors but you have actual onions actual peppers in your barbecue sauce and every time we make this i look at that and i just go i love that i just love it. it's something different unique and it gives the sauce uh, a bite and when i say a bite i don't mean a spice although it does have a little because of the jalapeno yeah but it gives the sauce like a bite to it there's a realness a grittiness to that sauce a little deeper flavor it, it truly is you yeah. know you add the smoke with that and you really have yourself you know, it's called All-American. I think it's the perfect name. You have yourself that backyard All-American barbecue sauce. It's exactly what it should be. And I just, I applaud you on it because I truly think it's one of the best barbecue sauces on the market. I'm sorry I did it twice in one podcast. <laughs> the best barbecue sauce on the market. <laughs> well, it all has to do with, you know, family and getting together with those barbecues with my aunts and uncles and cooking up that rope Italian sausage. and. Yep. You know, food is such a uh, a great uh, way of, for community and for family to come together. It really yeah. is. We've really found a way in, in this country to take the, the basic human needs of survival, which is like eating, right? Uh, we won't go down this road, but, you know, sex, we won't go down that road. But, you know, there's things we need to survive. Our bodies are engineered and we're wired a certain way. And food... Wait, are you saying my barbecue sauce is sexy? It's very sexy. Well, I mean, you see the blonde on the front of the bottle, well, right? There I mean, you go. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm, what I'm saying is I love that in this country that we, that we do what we do with food. Because I think that, you know, if you think about the way a human is wired, really, food is just fuel for us to survive. But we've turned it into everything. Everything is centered around food, right? Our gatherings, our emotions, like everything we do around food. And I just think it's really interesting. And you take those few human general human things that we're just flat out wired for and like i said we won't go down the other road but with food i just love what we've done in this country and, and turned it into such a celebration well think about what's changed i mean from the days where my father thought a well-done steak was right. was food yeah to uh you know how much better things can really taste and as a society we seem to put more emphasis on this food and bringing out fresher better flavors also, uh, think about it, the food channel on television, yeah. uh, your social media with taking pictures of the food. And, you know, we kind of joke around. It's like food porn. But people see that and they're like, oh, wow, 
That looks great. It is. I got to go get that tonight. And it works. I mean, I can scroll my Instagram, and when I see, you know, Sticky Lips with a beautiful picture of a rack of ribs, and I go, geez, you know, it's been a few weeks since I've had Sticky Lips. I think I'm going to get me some Sticky And that will stick in my head for a few days until I finally order me some Sticky Lips. It works. It's good yeah, marketing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, uh, how did it go then from... So basically, it's a combination of a couple things. You make a you make a, a good barbecue sauce. It's all American, and you recognize that Dinosaur Barbecue has these two hour long waits. Obviously, peop, there's a market for barbecue, and there's room for more barbecue in sure. this town. And you say this could be my spot. I could come, and at first, you know, you're saying, like, "Listen, I'll be the answer to Dinosaur." And of course, aspirations are will supersede dinosaur but in general you're just seeing a two-hour wait well, we, saying, were, we were kind of the anti-dinosaur we were kind of pegged at yeah. and and believe me we we love those guys we used to we used to have a football game every year with those guys at the u of r under the lights we did this for three Sticky years lips versus dinosaur? yes that's I, awesome <laughs> yeah my son danny was you know kind of helped head that one up and uh you know everything was going well i think the last year somebody broke their leg and oh, yeah so that kind of ended that but it was it was fun and uh well you were a ringer so, though because you were a football player well you, i you know what i was past my prime but but yeah. john stage is an ex-con biker so that would have been that would be like there, uh like the what was that movie where adam sandler goes to prison it was a remake of an old uh, the longest yard or something oh right think, right yeah right where like all the prisoners play it would have been really a lot of fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> it would have been yeah. so much fun to watch. I think that. John and I were probably past our, our prime in uh, in that game. There were a lot, right. of, from what I understand, there were a lot of ringers that were brought in. Uh, okay. Yeah, and, and some young guys. Somebody so. we just hired this morning. Yeah, yeah. And, and even though I think it was supposed to be like a a flag sort of game, I think at times it got a little bit rougher. Oh, okay. You know, but uh, so anyhow, but so uh, you know, we were they were like the biker sort of place, and we were the. You know, all American sort of place. You'd bring your family, and so we we're we we're kind of billed as the anti, and and I, I just laughed, and you know, it. They set the goal here in Rochester, and they were making great barbecue, and so for me to survive, I had to bring my barbecue game up too, and so over the years we've learned a lot about our trade, uh, you know, different techniques, different meats to buy. Uh, it, it's just amazing how much work goes into barbecue and and trying to get that other flavor of smoke into a meat which is kind of like the fifth spice you know yeah and uh so i really enjoy barbecue and the industry i'm in right now and our first store like i said was on the corner of culver and atlantic and we had a nice 15 year run there with the original sticky lips and then uh then 2018 uh i shut it down and it was it was gut wrenching because that was my baby jefferson road was still going well and i had this building that i bought on culver atlantic that was going to be a plaza and i'm not even 50 percent done with it i'm already five years into the project at least so taking a step back gave me opportunity to work on that building which is really a beautiful corner of rochester we're going to have 13 different entrepreneurs, businesses that are there. What's in there right now? So, Heroes Brewing Company, mm -hmm. 
which is making some awesome beers right now. Mm-hmm. And they have a great message, too, because I think it's all about first responders, military, right? And like, yep. Always you know, donating some donating. of their profits yeah. back. They donate. I'm a, a Big Brothers Big Sisters board member, and they've they've done a donation for us as well. So they're very giving. They're, yes. they're great people. Yeah, they got a great business model there. Yep. And my son owns Photo City Music Hall, which during the uh, pandemic, the first shutdown, he was able to remodel it from what I built as a comedy club to really, truly one of Rochester's most beautiful music halls. And he's innovative, too, with social media because he's live. I've seen him live streaming. I can't remember if it was if it was maybe TikTok or Instagram or whatever, but I've seen him live stream shows from yeah. from there. And I've always thought I thought that's. That's a really cool thing. You do see that a little on social, but not really out of Rochester. Nobody in Rochester is live streaming concerts and things like that. And right, he's also right. bringing in some really cool bands. I like he brings in some eccentric stuff and some hard shit. And sometimes I like hard shit. Yeah, he's, yeah. He brings in some of that cool oh, stuff. Oh, it's it, and you know he doesn't really stick with one genre. You're right, right. He goes across, and uh, I think they even do. They have like a techno sort of night that. Uh, that's that's huge. I don't even know if they call it techno anymore. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's the stuff that you know the kids like, and so he's doing a great job. And then we have Compass Cycle next door. Uh, you know, the Brawley girls, who I still call them. Uh, I've known them since they were cheerleaders with the Tenth Ward Tigers, and then a, at Aquinas, and so we've known the family for a while, and they're doing a great job. And they had the bikes, the spinning, and the hot yoga. And they have quite a following over there, really something. And then, uh, which Roar came in. Roar is a uh, nightclub that uh, mainly does drag shows. And there's four owners there that do an unbelievable job with it. They're some of my best tenants that I have. Some of the most fun nights I have. I'm not really a going out person anymore, but some of the most fun I ever had was at the old Tilt nightclub. Remember oh Tilt? yeah, sure. And Kiss Kiss 1067. We used to do club nights there and whatnot, and I got to MC some shows there, and those were some fun nights yeah. too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A lot of and fun. And by the way, this is one of my favorite things, and this is an old brother Wee's take, and he was so 100% on with this. I am the I was the boots on the ground witness to the to the fact that this was true. Great place to meet chicks because why right it's a drag show chicks love going to that stuff and macho dudes are afraid to go to that stuff <laughs> so if as long as you don't have an ego as long as you're not some sort of dickhead who thinks you're not allowed to be in the same place as a drag queen right which is, right which is shallow and close-minded sure as long as you're an adjusted human being with a monochrome of intelligence you can walk in there and basically be at a one to ten ratio with with women. <laughs> so true. So true. I'm just saying that yeah. was an old wheeze take, and I used to think yeah. he's right about that man. Yeah. So they're doing a great job, and then I have some smaller tenants. Lash Doll San's been with me now for about four years. Uh, and then we have the Saucy Chef. She's really um, a hit right now, man. Yeah, People she's taking over uh, my old catering kitchen, mm-hmm. and uh, really didn't know what to expect when she first came in, but. She's built like this takeout business, you know, from back there, and she's doing a great job. And then we have Rochester's first indoor dog park, Better Together Dog Park. That's awesome. And, you know, <laughs> they're they're gaining some ground right now. They're uh-huh. doing well. Green Zebra Catering, she just moved in, took one of the larger uh, spaces, and she caters 
a lot to the uh, Hebrew community. And uh, she's been in business for quite a long time. So my next phase we're working on is Rochester's smallest mall. It's three storefronts with a 14-foot wide hallway that are 800 square foot each. I've been getting a lot of calls for smaller businesses. So we're going to do it in a mall situation. That's a great idea. Yeah, and it gives you, you can park in the back of the parking lot, cut through the mall, come around to the front of the building. The smallest mall. The cut through mall. <laughs> <laughs> is Sticky Soul there too? Is it, Sticky Soul is there? So three weeks before the pandemic, February 20th, 2020, uh-huh. Sticky Soul and Barbecue opens up. Uh-huh. Put a lot of time and effort to redo the store. Even though it was my old restaurant, uh, it really needed to be redone. It was 15 years old. And so we, you know, that was probably a good eight-month eight project there. We tore out the old patio and rebuilt. We have a downstairs room now that's all season. So if there are any, you know, handicapped or people that can't do stairs, because that store before... The main dining was up on the second floor and still is there, too. So soul food, Jamaican, and barbecue with our homemade sides. Uh, we call them add-ons. Those are our appetizers. Trish, my partner there, does these desserts. This banana cream pie she does, oh, my God. I put on so much weight when I went there <laughs> and, and, and would test the foods out. But now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting back to where I need to be. Uh, the food there is fabulous, and it's a little bit different than the Sticky Lips barbecue, so don't expect the same experience. Mm-hmm. And so we're real happy to get that going again. Um, what about the name Sticky Lips? Where did that come from? So when I was first looking to open up a barbecue business, Sticky, the album from the Rolling Stones is called Sticky Fingers. And I found out later there was a chain down south called Sticky Fingers Barbecue. So I said, well, okay, well, we can't use that name. So what else gets sticky when you got barbecue sauce all over your lips? And that's what it came, Sticky Lips Barbecue. So can I tell you, I actually, I knew that story because I, I asked you that question back sure. when I had you on my Wham 1180 This was a deja vu moment. Yeah, but I asked <laughs> you it for a reason because we went to Charleston, South Carolina on a family vacation a few years ago. And we're driving down one of the main drags and we drive by a Sticky Fingers barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I go, holy shit. And I tell everyone <laughs> in the family, I'm like, everyone in the car, I'm like, listen, listen, listen. You know, you know Howie from Sticky Lips? Well, he was originally going to call it Sticky Fingers. And I tell him the whole story, you know. And I'm like, do you guys want to go? And everyone's like, no, not really. And I was like, yeah. So I convi- all week I was trying to convince people. I was like, let's go to Sticky Fingers. Let's go to Sticky Fingers. I just want to yeah, try Yeah, 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 sure. And, and finally, like one day they were all like, we're just going to have a beach day today. And this is another <laughs> thing about somehow my, my wife and her family can go on a week-long vacation and they can spend every day all day at the beach and i cannot do that i cannot sit on a beach for seven straight days yeah i i hear you so i'm like i gotta i go wish two. i could i i listen i got i always tell my wife anytime we go on vacation I, go, I got one beach day the rest i gotta go do stuff i can't do beach so it's okay it's okay because yeah. at that point we, we need a little time apart like me and my wife we 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 love each other with a fiery passion however passion is the word and every once in a while <laughs> let's just take a day where you go to the beach and i don't right Look. so one day 
I go, today's it. I'm just going to go to Sticky Fingers. I'm going to go buy. And I went to Sticky Fingers by myself, and I ate there. And it, and it was fine. It was yeah. no Sticky Lips. You can tell the difference between. I'm assuming that's a bigger chain. Yeah, right? It, it a is chain. a chain, yeah. You can tell when you're eating chain barbecue versus when you're eating Sticky Lips barbecue, right? You can just tell. Barbecue is actually one of the hardest type chain situations to do. Yeah. And you don't really see a lot of large barbecue chains. And a lot of guys that I know have tried it. Uh, it, it found it very hard to duplicate and to be successful. I mean, you know, I, I again, I can point to the dyno, but, you know, they, I think they were somewhat bought out by some big money guy. They were, and also, and, sp- speaking of that old show, I did have, uh, and I hope you forgive me for this, but I did have the opportunity to have John Stage on. Yeah, once. sure. And, and I really guy. enjoyed that conversation. And at the time, they were at maybe eight nine stores something like right, that right right and i remember towards the end of the interview i asked him what's next and he and you know another dinosaur because he had opened and i think to this day he's got an italian restaurant in syracuse yeah, right yeah so he's had a couple non-dinosaur restaurants right. as well and i asked him you know where will the next dinosaur be and he he stopped me and pretty definitively said i think there's not going to be any more dinosaur because you you can't with the quality. Like it, it, at that point, it would get beyond my ability to oversee right. it. Yeah, and and I don't know. You know, one you can argue maybe that's micromanaging, uh, and and then you know, but then there's the other side of that. And I think I'm sitting across from someone because I'm I'm like you, where people will sometimes call us micromanagers, but we're also perfectionists, and we want the the consumer to experience perfection. Well, there you go. Right? You just nailed yeah. the difference between a chain. And a, and a small operation, uh-huh. right? There's the difference. You have an owner that's passionate, that does certain things, that takes it to another step. Yeah. And with chains, you have to depend on a lot of different people. And, you know, a lot of them, they're trying their best. Um but it it just it, get, it can get lost. You're never going to get the passion get lost. from a founder, right? From a, a founder and owner. I, I would think that's that's always going to be the most. And you can and you can find star employees. Sure, yeah, you certainly can. Yeah, but you you're you're just not going to get just. I don't know how to put this other than just not every employee is going to be a star employee. I don't know how to put it, but I just think it's a reality we all live with, it, right? You know, we always say in the restaurant business, a third is my team. The other third is going to be there for a while. They do a great job for you, but you know they're going to move on. Yeah. And then there's the bottom third that just rotates through because it's some of the, especially now with the help situation. Yeah, let's get into this a little bit. It, it's What's your assessment on what's going on right now? This is not good. This is really tough. A lot of people in the restaurant industry, even though we're seeing some fairly good numbers coming back, uh, we're still struggling with the high food prices, the high labor costs. We're trying to keep our menu prices in check because we're really the last ones that want to raise our prices. Right. And because of competition and because we know the family budget is, you know, only so much. And we don't want to price ourselves out of the industry either. So, you know, this is the hardest time to be in the restaurant business. And I've been doing this close to 40 years this is the hardest thing you've seen yeah and it's a combination of labor shortage which in some ways is what's leading to food cost rising sure right? and also the public right now seems really angry right 
I don't know. Are you experiencing grumpy customers it's, in a way that, that didn't <laughs> exist before? Are you willing it, to talk it, about that? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of become a... Uh, it seems it, like it's happening, Just right? recently, I, I've been hearing this kind of out of our industry. And yeah. In fact, our restaurant association, I think we can even print off uh, a, like a notice we put at the front door just to be patient with our staff. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some stories yeah, about that. Cause yeah, because we may be understaffed, which is most likely. And so it's hard on the staff that's there. I'm sure the customer experience is maybe not as great, but not necessarily really terrible either. And uh, it, it's just, it's it's changed. It's just, you know, why are why do we have the shortage of workers right now? I mean, I know the government was giving you some money to, you know, that maybe enticed you to stay home, but could you ever stay home for a year? I don't think I could stay home. I couldn't stay home more than a, a three weeks. I think if I had a long weekend, I would get a little antsy, right? Yeah. Uh, is there a... Uh, how do I want to word this so that I don't make everyone hate me? Is there a an entitlement that's getting passed on to people that is making regular people think, oh, God... Damn it! I'm already I'm already feeling myself as I'm going down this road. I'm I know cringing, where you're going with it. Cringing at and, myself, and people yeah. are, and people are hearing this and they're going, oh, "He's a jerk." I always knew he was a jerk. Right. Not a jer- I'm not a jerk. I'm just saying that there's a lot out there telling regular average people that there's nothing wrong with being a regular average person mm-hmm. that they deserve the world without having to actually make the effort. Well, you know, the world. I mean, the reason this is being brought up because this conversation mm. is being brought up a lot in it society. Is. It is, but I mean, I'm we're so not afraid the pissing. first ones to no, say this. No, but I'm so afraid and, of pissing people off. And I but. understand that, right? And there's a lot of people that do need help, and and I fully understand that. But at times, I I feel, and I think a lot of people feel that there's people taking advantage of the system. The system was there to help us in our time of need not as a way of life. And I always said, you know, this is why America was always the greatest country because you can be somebody, you can make yourself someone if you just wanna do some things that may be uncomfortable in your life by working hard, being dedicated, you know, staying off, you know, hardcore drugs that or alcohol that may mislead you into an area you don't want to go but it's like you have the opportunity in this country to be whatever you want to be you got to find your strengths and you got to work at it and you can do something with your life Mm -hmm. so i just feel like america has all this unwasted talent sitting on the sidelines not providing what our country needs i want to make sure at least that that privilege does have a place in this conversation because I understand that not everybody starts at home plate. Uh, I, and I don't think I did. And I have to, sometimes I have to face that reality and I have to say, Paulie, you didn't start on home plate. You had 
an upbringing and you had people rooting for you and uh, you didn't come from a poor household, you know, and I didn't come from a rich household, but it wasn't poor either. Same here, Polly. I probably started on second base if I'm being completely honest with you. And and we all know some billionaire children who started on third base, right? Right, right. So you and I can sit here with a chip on our shoulders and look ahead to third base and say, look at those bastard billionaire children who started on third base. But meanwhile, there's somebody back on first base or even back at home plate looking at us saying, hey, listen to you assholes talking about this you guys had some privilege that, to start that's with. a good way of putting it and it's so true yeah you know what you just spoke so i want to make sure that at least gets represented here because you know we can sit here and congratulate ourselves for how hard we work and we do so we polly do. let's let's turn the conversation around here a little bit okay so let's say you know what i've always felt that i was an underdog mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like i i said i had some learning disabilities sure and you know i saw a lot of my friends doing these four-year colleges and getting all the hot chicks and whatever and i just you know and i was like a construction guy i just kind of felt like you know we were i wasn't at that level and and that was only in my own mind yeah and so what makes you a great athlete a great boxer sometimes what makes you a great business person is not always having something handed to you Mm, right you learn a work ethic which Sometimes I think kids that are given everything, that's crippling them. True. That the kids who maybe grew up with a single mother or father and couldn't get everything they wanted and maybe had to start working a job when other kids were playing sports. You know, these are the stories that America was built on. You know, your rags to riches. And and that rags represents the... That you you got you got to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, you got to have a drive uh, that want wants to make you go from you know being on first base to second base or third base, and again it, it should all be done legally, uh, but I I don't I don't always want to use that people are crippled, I don't I don't think that that's a necessarily a good uh, thing to have people believe in. You know, you yeah. live in a country that gives you an opportunity to be whatever you want. Sure, your mother may not have any money. Maybe you've never seen your father. You know, life at this moment maybe is not the greatest thing, but you can change that. Right. And, there's, and, no, there's no rule in place that says you're not allowed to. There's just, there are some, there are, there are building blocks that, but but uh, yeah, but there's no rule in place. It's not other countries where it's like, hey, you happen to have been born female, therefore you're literally not allowed to start a business, right? Right. Like it's not that type of country. Thank God we have that freedom. And well, there's a story in my family. My grandmother who came over from Vienna, Austria area, who uh, at age eight they lost their father. Ten kids in the family. She's the oldest one. The family sends her off to work for a wealthy family as a governess. At eight years old, there's stories in our family. They're taking the Orient Express train as she watches the children of these wealthy families. Mm. Back then, children were kind of in the background. They weren't the center point that our families make them today. So at eight years old, I mean, how much life can suck for somebody that just lost their 
father and now is put out to work and live with another family. And so she came here, we think around 19 years old. She was told the, sh the, the streets of America were paved to gold. Mm. She came over, went through Ellis Island. Her name's in the stone with my grandfather's. And she, they asked, well, what do you do? And she says, well, I'm a cook. And she said it confidently, right? And the guy there said, well, we need cooks. Come on in. So as she got off the boat from Battery Island uh, to Battery Island, she's looking down for the gold in the streets. Well, obviously, there's no gold, but she found a dime. And that dime helped get her some bread and a couple things she needed for that first night. But a lot of times, the people who were coming over were told to go, like my grandfather was told, and he didn't come with my grandmother. It's a, go to the Danish home. So whatever your ethnicity was, there were like these homes that you would go to. You'd probably stay there for a little bit in the beginning. They would tell you two things. You got to get a job and you got to learn English. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is on tape recorded messages from my family yeah. who went through this. And they did. They were able to get jobs because we we're going through the industrial revolution back then. America, we needed labor kind of almost like we need labor today right mm -hmm. so so you had to like go find your people right you my, went to your house you, you, it was like, yes and then the and then once you get there it's the like my my people right the italians the italians been here for a while and they're going to give me the advice they're going to say they're going to hey paulie hey welcome to america listen man, they, they love our food they don't so much like the fact that we grease our it's hair it's why you know? in the old school cities <laughs> certain neighborhoods were the polish neighborhood yeah, the italian yeah. neighborhood because these groups tend to stick together. Uh -huh. One, if you didn't know the language, you can at least get by with people that know, right? Yeah. So anyhow, the great story about my grandmother is uh, she ended up being a cook for one of the early movie producers, silent uh, movie producers. Cool. And so some wealthy you know, moguls would come into their home for the parties. They would go in the kitchen, try to steal her away. Uh. Anyhow... 1920, women could legally vote. They couldn't own real estate before that. In 1918, my grandmother leases a building from a lady of 12 boarding rooms. And it was a dollar a week. She kept the name of the old person, the lady that owned it, Mrs. So-and-so, because she didn't want any of the boarders to think she was a single girl. So... That's, and eventually she ends up buying the building. But really, what a cool story. Great story. You know, somebody that had life stacked up against them. American dream. It's the American dream. And yeah. we have to believe in that and we have to teach that in our schools. We do. For people to have hope. And, 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 and the saddest thing, my grandson a couple of years ago, he was 11 years old, and, and I'm big into history. And, and so... I told him, you know, we were talking about our country. And he says, oh, Grandpa, he goes, our, we have a bad country. And I said, oh, whoa, wait a second here. What do you mean by that? He goes, well, that's what I hear a lot of people say. And I said, no, Isaac, I go, you're, you're misled. We have a great country. So what I did after that, now every summer, last year we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then later on we went to Gettysburg. 
And then this year we went to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And that whole cool area of, I don't know if the Simpsons named it after Springfield, but they had the old armory and just Dr. Seuss Museum, great museums there. So this is how you learn and teach history. And you learn to get an appreciation for other people that come before you that have made your life Really, think about it. our lives are so simple, so easy compared to what two generations before us. Yeah. yeah. Howie, thanks for doing this, man. I promised you 30 minutes. It's been uh, 55. Were we talking about barbecue sauce? <laughs> At some point. I oh, think so. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I have one last barbecue question. Yeah, Completely sure. out of nowhere, but I'm dying to know the answer. You developed all American barbecue sauce. Where did Cherry Bomb barbecue sauce come from? Yeah. That's, they, that's a huge hit for you, It too. is. It's, I yeah. think, our biggest seller, and uh, and it's unique. So when before I opened up the barbecue restaurant, a friend of mine lives in Kansas City, and he says, Howie, if you want to get into barbecue, you got to sit in with this group, my friends, we're at the American Royal every year, which is like the largest, they had in the Memphis in May, biggest barbecue competitions, and 600 teams. So the team I sat in on, this guy had this cherry-flavored barbecue sauce. Now, I never got the recipe from him, but I loved the flavor of it, and that's kind of how that idea got going. And that was our second sauce that we came up with. That's a huge hit, and we're actually making that later today, so I'm excited. Yeah. All right, Howie. Thanks, man. Okay, Polly. Right. This is fun. It's a good ha good to have you. It's good to good to work with you, and good to have you on mic again too. Like this has been a couple of years. Yeah. All in all, just congratulations on all your success through life, and and keep going, man. We love you. We root for you. You're a great part of Rochester and the fabric that makes us who we are. And it's a pleasure to have lived at the same time as you, Howie. Well, thank you very much, Paul. And you're also blazing your own trail, too, right now with the craft cannery and making Do you know, I, it, it does feel like I'm blazing my own trail, but I have no idea whether to go left or right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, welcome to business. You never know. <laughs> like, my trail kind of looks like this. I'm well, doing a squiggly line with my finger. So here we are in the restaurant business. We yeah. just got out of some crazy times, yeah. still trying to figure it out. And now the drums are being beat for the masking. And, you know, I'll do whatever they tell us to do, but yeah. it gets people nervous. Right. Are people going to stop going out to restaurants or not as often because now the new Yeah, and then you got to pick virus. a team. Like, are you going to be on team? You have to show your Vax card. And then there's people who say, I will only go to restaurants that make me show a Vax card. And then and then are you going to be team, we're not going to ask you here, and then you got people in the public saying, I'm only going to go to restaurants who don't ask me for I, my it, Vax card. It's crazy. It really is. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we really try to stay middle of the road as much as we can until the government tells us what we really need to do. Right, right. So, Howie, love you, brother. Yeah, I love you too, Polly. Thank you.